Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of another tumultuous week in the Independent Republic, ladies and gentlemen, and we have once again learned an awful lot. We've learned that the Russians are constantly trying to bug us and failing. We've learned that the Labour Party in the hands of Keir Starmer is just as barking mad as it ever was under Jeremy Corbyn. We've also learned that Chris Grayling is just as useless as he ever was, and we've also learned that our judiciary is just as out of touch with the mood of the nation as it has ever been. Of course, I'm talking uh, about the... uh, uh, Shemima Begum situation. Today, Boris Johnson will address the nation and urge everyone to get back to work. This isn't helped, of course, by his other refrain that we should all wear masks while doing so. He will promise a £3 billion fund for the NHS to cope with the potential second wave of coronavirus in the winter. And he will also explain what his plan is for a rollout and a disappearance of social distancing measures. Also, what we'll be exploring is what is going on with Matt Hancock. He's called today for an urgent review into Public Health England and the way that they have operated throughout the coronavirus pandemic. I think he's nailed it. I think he's finally put the finger on what it is that has gone wrong, if anything has gone wrong, with the way this government handled the coronavirus crisis. And that is that Public Health England is quite simply not fit for purpose. We'll get the verdict on how the government is doing from former MEP Annunziata Rees-Mogg coming up very shortly. 0344 499 We're also joined by Dr. Rakiba San with his take on why the appeal court judges that ruled in favour of ISIS bride Shemima Begum should hang their heads in shame and why our money should not be used to fund her legal battle to get her citizenship back. And we'll be talking to rapper Zuby on the rights and wrongs of the culture war going on in Britain's media right now and in our society in general. He'll be telling us why cancel culture is killing our civilization. 0344 499 Today's homeschooling is a study of Hercules. And because it's Friday, it's time for yet another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards in the company of Marta Malagon. It's another homage to my brilliance in broadcasting. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there's been an awful lot going on this week and there's been an awful lot to digest, an awful lot to take in, an awful lot to kind of uh, translate, if you like, into uh, common words of more than one syllable. Uh, The coronavirus lockdown is easing, it would seem. The Prime Minister will get up this this morning and we'll bring it to you live here right on uh, Talk Radio around about 11 o'clock. He's going to tell us it's time to get back to work. This is exactly what I said yesterday. It's time to revive the economy. It's time to stop hiding. It's time to stop furloughing. It's time to stop hanging about at home watching Netflix. It's time to get back to work, back to the pubs, 
back to the restaurants, back to the uh, shops and back to where we used to be. Because if we don't do it, uh, we'll never do it. It's as simple as that. Let's talk to Anunziata Riesbog, former MEP, of course, for the Brexit Party, former independent MEP as well. Uh, she's going to give us her take on where we are right now. Anunziata, very good morning to you. Good morning, mate. How are you? Very well indeed. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, it seems to me um, that I suppose we should kick off, first of all, with the breaking news that Matt Hancock has ordered this review uh, into Public Health England. I've always been very suspicious of the way that Public Health England has been an incredibly sort of, you know, slow um, oil tanker-like organisation, which seems very, very difficult uh, to manoeuvre, seems very difficult and and, and unwilling to kind of be agile and, and, and move around in any way, shape or form, and very slow to react to problems. I think it was t- totally unprepared. Its job was to be prepared, and it wasn't. Um, it doesn't seem to have made the right call at any point. Um, certainly, its reputation has only gone down throughout the whole pandemic so far. And I think it's really quite shocking that they can't even count how many people have died. Right. And if they have counted how many people have died, they don't really know what they've died from, because it's been very clear to me that we've actually been been, been damaged by, uh, by the numbers that we have been publishing, because there are some countries in Europe now who are looking at us as if we're some kind of pariah state, because we've got so many people dying from coronavirus who haven't actually died from coronavirus. It's terrible for the external perception of our country, but also it's terrible for the people who are here, and people have been absolutely terrified. Mm. And if these numbers are not as high as they have been declared so far, then a lot of that fear... It was unnecessary. And I think that's extremely unfair on the British people and on the British economy. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with criticising the NHS, but we live, do we not, in this kind of bizarre culture where if you do criticise the NHS, you're, you're sort of painted as some kind of horrible fascist who hates everybody who works in the NHS, which is not the case. You know, the NHS is brilliant in some ways, but also not so brilliant in lots of other ways. I think the NHS has actually come out of this crisis very well, that it did step up, that the unbelievable efforts of individual nurses and doctors overcame the structural problems. They shouldn't have to be in that position. The way in which the NHS is run is the problem not the doctors and nurses on the front line putting their lives at risk. No, sure. Let's talk a little bit about Boris Johnson's speech today. We expect him to kind of rally the troops, as it were, uh, and tell everybody it's time to get back to work. He seems at the moment to be obsessed with saying the same thing three times, you know, build, 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 work, 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 mask, mask, mask. Um, Is there a problem, do you think, with his communications at the moment? I I think there's been too long a quiet patch, and we really need the speech today, and I have great hope that it will clarify things, that I think a lot of us are really baffled by why we've got to wear masks now when we go back to work. Mm. You don't in the pub, you do in the shop. None of it seems terribly logical. If, and I hope there is, a really good reason why this is being done, he's got to tell us, or people are going to start turning against the entire uh, lockdown system. Well, listen, I'm not going to say exactly where this happened, um, but yesterday uh, I was in a hostelry not a million miles away from here and uh, there were people queuing up to go in um, and there were lots of people outside enjoying a drink in the sunshine and I went up to the woman who was kind of stewarding everybody and I said, you know, is it one in, one out? Is it one person at a time? I was with a friend of mine. I said, can we both go in? And she said, yeah, you can both go in if you want. And I said, and she said, just wait until there's somebody available. And I said, what's the rule once you're in there? She said, you know what, to be honest, I'm so fed up with it. Well, you do what you like. <laughs> that was literally what she said, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and that's, I think, how a lot of people feel. 
It is. This has been going on a very long time. If we look back to before lockdown, one of the arguments for not starting it was that people would get bored and that they would start to ignore it. We are so beyond that point. The British people stepped up far more so than they were expected to. They locked down much harder than was anticipated by the government out of our own free will. Um, But we've got to have light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. Well, let's hope so. Um, And certainly it does seem as though there is an awful lot of willingness from some aspect, from some sort of sections of society to get back to work and to get back to normal as soon as possible. But there also seems to be an awful lot of other people who really don't want to go back to work. And I said yesterday, Nunziata, that one of the things that I think the government could do is get the civil service back to work because there's an awful lot of empty buildings in Whitehall, possibly in Swansea where the DVLA is, possibly in Edinburgh where the tax people are. You know, we need to get them back to work as an example for everybody else, don't we? Absolutely. And Parliament started that by actually going back. Um, But the civil service, you're absolutely right, have to follow suit. It's completely unreasonable to expect people working for private companies to go back if it's seen that the civil service find it too risky to do so. Right. And schools in in a similar manner, obviously it's too late now, I guess, for schools to, to, to go back. Most of them will be breaking up, uh, if not at the end of, uh, of, of this week today, then certainly the end of, of next week. Um, but I worry about schools in September because my problem with, with, with having two kids of my own, I know you've got children, is that, you know, they may have been so out of practice with actually doing anything at all academic that it's going to take at least three months for them to even get back to the kind of methodology of learning. And indeed socialising. Yeah. I think that's been a big piece missing in children's lives mm. and it was really important to get them back. Some schools are you know, doing one day before the end of term. Right. I think that's very sad for the children. One day doesn't really uh, teach you anything no. or help. Um, and also if you tell kids, look, do some homework if you feel like it, Uh, or don't, they're not going to do it. No, and it it, it put the onus on parents, a lot of whom were working from home or trying to whilst simultaneously teaching their children, and that was very difficult. Some parents went over the top and, you know, their children worked solidly, and other people did nothing. There's become such a disparity that is not the children's fault. Yes, exactly right. And in terms of uh, how the rest of the country is doing, because I always like to rely on people like yourself uh, who live outside of London to tell us what's actually going on, because in London it's easy to get the wrong impression. What's it like where you are up in sort of Lincolnshire? I think um, virtually everyone up here is uh, getting on with life as much like normal as, as they can. Um, I happen to notice that one of my local towns, lots and lots of people in masks, uh, earlier this week before they were obviously uh, compulsory but most of the towns people are just getting on with their business. Yeah. Do you think it's a mistake to order this mask wearing in shops? Um, I wish I could understand it. I, I'm, I'm very law abiding and I have got a mask and I will wear it but I can't understand the logic at the moment of why we've got to mm. and I suspect a lot of people will refuse to and there are quite a lot of reasons for you not having to wear one that I think people will use. Yes, there are an awful lot of people that are speaking to me just on social media saying, look, we don't see the reason why we should be doing it. If we were supposed to be uh, safeguarding ourselves for the, uh, the last several weeks, why were we not asked to wear them before? And, you know, why was the government quite so kind of um, a dilettante-like when uh, they said, well, it's up to you, really? I, I think that there needs to be a lot more explaining of both the motivations and the practicalities that I know 
a lot of people are very muddled now on the rules and you're allowed in someone's house, are you allowed to use the, the loo? Mm. All that kind of thing has right. got very murky. And so people are just trying to be sensible. And yeah. actually, I think we should have a lot more of that. Trust the British people to do the right thing. They have time and time again. They will now. And I think that's true. I think we have kind of navigated ourselves to a place which is relatively, um, I would say, risk-free compared to what we were looking at, say, I don't know, even two months ago. Yes, absolutely. The, the number of cases is so low. And if this Public Health England story is correct, it's probably actually about zero. Um, and the people are dying of other causes, having had corona a month ago, uh, which it means that the you know famous rate will be well below one, mm. very, very low. The cases are minimal in most of the country. Right. Even in the areas with lockdowns, they're only high in comparison to the lower places. Right. They're, they're still low compared to the peak of the pandemic. Right. And we've got to get back to normal life. We've got to get the economy going. We've got to be allowed to have our normal social lives, see our families, go out and about as we always have done. And that's a real problem, particularly in sort of areas where I live, which are very tourist-based economies. There are no tourists. Right. And that, to me, is the real kind of crux of the problem at the moment. Certainly, there are people in London, there are restaurateurs, there are uh, theatre owners, you know, uh, bar owners, who are simply not able to open because most of their trade is, is dependent upon tourists. Absolutely. And, and I've heard reports from people in London <clears throat> that it's completely and utterly dead. And if you mm. go into Zone 1, there's no one there. And that's right. a tragedy. Those are people's livelihoods going under. Mm. And it's really quite shocking to see because as much as I'm quite amazed that the government has managed to find all the money that it has so far found in order to keep everybody going, you know, there will come a time, I guess, and, and, and the, the harbingers of doom will say, you know, come September, October time, that's when it starts to get tricky, that's when it starts to get very, very difficult, and that's when more people will be made unemployed, and then we'll really have a problem. Uh, absolutely, and the borrowing has obviously gone through the roof. I'm very encouraged that Rishi Sunak uh, has recognised that tax cuts stimulate the economy. Mm. And I think that's a much better way to go than to penalise people with higher tax rates when they're suffering already. Yes. And where do you stand on the idea of an inquiry? You know, I worry about spending a fortune and, and, and lots and lots of chin-stroking time looking back on what we should have done, what we might have done, what we may have done, and whether we did something wrong. You know, every inquiry that's ever happened from Chilcot backwards, to me, has been a complete and utter waste of time and money. I couldn't agree more. Um, I was trying to think of one that had um, been timely and successful, and right. I failed to come up with There one. really isn't one. Um, no, some go on decades. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. If the mm. point of an inquiry is to make sure the same things don't happen again, then you need to do them quickly, and you need to just look at that it's not a blame game. Right. It's what can we do better? Yes, exactly. And finally, uh, just on the on a sort of slightly more a cordial note, are you going to be able to take a holiday this year? What are you, what's your plans? I mean, I'm I've, I'm pretty much giving up on the idea of going anywhere far away. Um, I wouldn't have been anyway. Um, the idea of packing up um, <laughs> my three children, including yeah. the four month old. A five-month-old who... That's not um, good fun, is he it? He needs traveling? more more stuff than um, I can even fit in the yeah, car. Right. So, no, we will be just quietly here um, at home and uh, hopefully have a couple of day trips to Skegness, which is... OK, a few miles well, away. make it the odd trip to London, perhaps. 
I would love to. Um, it's, it's seeming a long way. I think this whole <laughs> lockdown thing has changed my perception. And has it? Really? Yes. Do, you, do you feel like that would be t- a step too far in some ways? Uh, I will be back in London. I yeah. have no doubt about it. But when that will be, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I want the trains to open up properly. I want sure. the buses to um, function again. I mm. was looking at um, someone trying to get to Skegness and there are no buses to Lincolnshire coaches from London. They've stopped them. So I mean, this the is the trouble. Is going to recover. I don't know. I know this is the trouble, isn't it? We talk about public transport, and you get very spoiled living in London, the southeast, where you expect to be able to get a train or a bus within two minutes as soon as you get to the station or the bus stop. But in the rest of the country, you know, I go to Sussex for the weekends. You, it's like one bus an hour or something ridiculous. If you're uh, lucky. Absolutely. And and one of the problems I have um, had conversations with friends about is are the school buses going to be running next term, even if the schools have gone back? Yes. At the moment, even for the limited number of children who've been able to go back, there haven't been school buses. Well, that's going to be difficult. Yes, absolutely right. Well, have a great weekend, Lindsay Arts. Thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Lindsay Arts and Rhys Mogg, they're giving us her version of where we are, the state of the nation. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. I'm delighted to say, uh, because we haven't spoken to him all week, that we've got Charlie Ray on the line, uh, former royal editor of The Sun, of course, royal author, uh, because there's been quite a lot going on. Ghislaine Maxwell's been up in court. Uh, We've been talking about uh, Prince Andrew. Uh, It turns out that he has somehow quietly lost his official website. Uh, Let's find out what's going on. There's also a little Megan story that we might have to talk about as well. Charlie, a very good uh, morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Missy. Yeah, so, um, Prince Andrew, a man who uh, is never never far from the news at the moment, um, seems to have uh, lost his website. What's going on? Well, it's another week. It's another Prince Andrew story. It's another nail in his reputation coffin, so to speak. Um, the All the royals have their own websites which help promote their official duties and, you know, things that they're involved in. And they have now taken down the Duke of York's uh, website, which is a clear indication that this guy is never going to come back to public duties uh, in the near future or in the far future, even if it is shown at the end of the day, as he keeps on saying, that he had no involvement in this uh, trafficking and and having sex with young girls, even if he's cleared of all that, uh, I cannot see him ever coming back and doing anything again. No. I mean, but even worse than that, I suppose, uh, is does he think that by doing this that it somehow makes everybody forget that he's around? Well, no, it's, it's um, an actual fact. What has happened is that the the, con- the his website, like all the other websites, have a contract, and his contract has, has expired, uh-huh. so he hasn't had to do you anything. Say that again. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, so, so he's, 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 he doesn't have to do anything, um, and of course, clearly, it's been decided that there's not there's there's nothing to put on the website. You can't keep on saying we're we're, we're going to cooperate with the the legal team, but not do anything, right? Um, and, you know, which is the only bit of news. That, the only the only thing that people want to hear about Prince Andrew now is that he's sat in a room or in front of a camera on a Zoom con, con, conference with the legal people involved in the Ghislaine Maxwell scenario. Right. That's the only thing we all want to hear about, um, that he's done it. And, you know, nothing else matters. And I think even there might be still some people, and I, and I might even count myself as one, uh, who is not absolutely and utterly convinced that, that Andrew's done anything terrible, but he just needs to sort it out. You know, he just needs he to get on top of it. He needs to take ownership of it. And if whatever he has done, he needs to be able to come out and say it. 
It does, and he yes, he needs to sit down in front of of the investigators and explain exactly uh, what his part was in 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 the home Jeffrey Epstein. What he saw was going on, uh, because clearly, as everybody keeps on saying, they must have seen something going on. So he, his evidence is going to be very very important, mm. whatever he says. And of course, let's not forget, Gillian Maxwell is facing you know thirty five years in the poker at yeah. some stage if she is convicted right. and you know the feeling is that you know in return for a lesser sentence she may start uh, revealing names and what people were involved in I'm again not suggesting that Prince Andrew was involved in anything illegal at all but clearly you know he was the one who says that Gillian introduced him to, to Epstein so what he has got to say is extremely important to the investigators and if you don't let me say so, the wider public as well. It's it's he is our prince, whether we like him or not, it doesn't matter. He is a prince of the royal family, and the royal family's reputation keeps on getting tarnished by this guy refusing or not sitting down and talking to them. Yes, and there's a fascinating uh, piece in the Mail today. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it about Ghislaine Maxwell's kind of corporate history and how she founded all sorts of companies which were then involved in buying properties. It's all linked to this guy that she may or may not have married uh, who's a sort of a tech CEO uh, over in America. There's all kinds of companies, there's all kinds of houses, there's all kinds of properties, Twitter accounts, links to Prince Andrew, links to other people. I mean, it's a very sort of murky world, isn't it? It is a very murky world, and I thought that with the Ghislaine Maxwell appearance in court this week, there was two vital pieces of information that seemed to have come out as a result of that court appearance. One was the fact that she may be secretly married to some multi-billionaire. You won't be surprised she's not married to a plumber somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, and, sec- and secondly, the fact that she actually actually had the temerity to offer to, to serve her time in a five-star luxury hotel wearing yes. each- Way tag, and you just think, are you serious, sweetheart? Are you really serious? You know that you you, you can make this offer, and I am personally, I never thought she was going to get bail, and it looks like she's going to spend at least well July next year before mm. the court case comes comes around. God knows what's going to happen between now and then, um, and it's, you know, watch the space. Yes, really. indeed, and something else that's been sentenced to a long period of time uh, away from the people that it loves is, of course, uh, Meghan Markle's dog. Bogart, uh, who's stuck yeah. in Canada. Uh, apparently, she's decided not to take one of her dogs, uh, which is called Bogart, back to uh, Los Angeles because apparently doesn't like Prince Harry. <laughs> apparently, apparently so. It's a, it's a bit of a bit of a shame really, that Bogart doesn't like Prince, uh, Prince, Prince Harry. I mean, I mean, the good thing, the good point, and all this is the fact that uh, Meghan actually took Harry with her to Los Angeles and, and not left him in Canada. <laughs> um, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, but Bogart was the one who never came to Britain. She brought home Guy, right. um, and they got another dog. And if you remember, it was a sort of Labrador thing. That He's a rescue dog, dog, this guy. She's now left him and abandoned him. That's nice, isn't it? Well, Guy, well, Bogart has been abandoned up in Canada. Guy, Guy came to London, uh, where she picked up another dog called Oz. Yeah, and they are now with her in Los Angeles mm. and Harry. Obviously, those two dogs. Uh, quite like Harry. I, I, I just wonder how Bogart expressed his disdain for Harry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I find, what I find astonishing is that she's now ghosted her own dog, in addition to all the other people yeah. she's ghosted. Yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't... Nothing this woman does tends to surprise you anymore. Yeah. And you, you would have thought that, uh, you know, I mean, Harry has got on with dogs all his life, and I'm sure... You know, unless Bogart takes after his uh, namesake Humphrey Bogart as a gangster, then I, I you know, I'm, 
I'm, I'm stunned that she's left this dog. She's supposed to be a woman who loves, uh, you know, loves the babies. Her, her animals and everything. Yeah. And they're, they're her babies and everything. Although I was a bit concerned that she only feeds them the highest quality of organic food. I'm, I'm not sure that, that, in my view, I'm not sure that that's a great idea for dogs. To be no, honest. no, I think you're absolutely right. Charlie, well played. Thank you very much indeed. Charlie Ray there, uh, the former Royal Editor of The Sun. We've got lots more to do, including, of course, Boris Johnson, who's going to be up very shortly after the news at 11. This is Talk Radio. 
almost half a million followers on social media. And the fact that I can reach half a million people from a device in, in my pocket is totally insane. It's incredible. It's an incredible power. And I've been able to do some wonderful things with it. But I don't think that we really appreciate what we're dealing with here and the way it changes people's behavior and the way people communicate and interact. There's a lot of positive to it. But um, on the net, I think thus far, it might actually be something that's negative for our society yeah. on the whole. It's interesting, actually, you say that, because looking at your uh, most of your posts on Twitter, they are very positive. You know, some people might say they're a bit arrogant, but I but I like all that because that's that's what, <laughs> what that's what I do as well. Right. And you have a lot more reason to be arrogant than I do. But the point is, is that, you know, the, the more positive you are, the more positivity comes from that, it seems to me. And the more negative you are, the more negativity comes from that. So we have to fight. I think people like you and I have to kind of fight together for positivity you know i'm one of those people that wants you know when i look at uh, you know i look at a glass i see it half full i don't see it half empty and your tweets i mean let me read this criticizing someone's words or actions is not cancel culture cancel culture is going after their entire livelihood for a non-criminal infraction perceived offense or difference in opinion often with no route to salvation the former is fine the latter is evil and that really sums it up brilliantly i think because people are so ludicrously overreacting to almost everything that happens in this world now yeah, exactly. But the thing is, people are over overreacting to stuff that is not worth the outrage, right. and under and they're underreacting perhaps to things that are genuinely worth the outrage. Mm. There are legitimate problems still going on in the world on a local level, national level, international level, which are certainly worthy of outrage. But we live in this time in this culture where a lot of that gets expended on total nonsense. To be to be perfectly honest. Mm. And I think that's actually one of the downsides of this sort of outrage culture that most people don't really think about is that it distracts away from some of the real issues that people should be aware of and should be tackling. Sure. Do you think the politicians that are around nowadays have some sort of blame uh, to take for this? Because they seem to be quite shallow in lots of ways. And I'm not suggesting that back in 2005 they were any less shallow, but they seem to be particularly shallow now. Yeah, look, I'm not a big fan of the blame game. Um, I think we as individuals all need to understand the role that we all play in it, right? And none of us are perfect, but I think whether someone is a politician or in the media or a public figure or just someone who's has a Twitter account or a Facebook account or whatever, I just think people need to think more responsibly about what they're doing. You know, we live in this time as well where people just read headlines and then they share things and amplify things just after reading a headline which might be misleading. Mm. And we live in this era of clickbait where lots of media outlets are being paid on ad revenue. So they're just trying to generate clicks, even if it means being misleading or telling a little bit of fake news or being extremely biased, etc. So we need to firstly recognize that, but then not play the game in such a stupid fashion. And that's something that I personally very much try to do. I try to be level-headed and sensible and not just run on emotion, but run on what makes sense. Yes. And not try to play into some of the divisive narratives that people like to push. Yes, and I mean, I think we all know that there are people out there who don't do what you've just described. And, and I think that's why guys like yourself are so valuable in, in that kind of social media uh, atmosphere, because effectively you have a bigger audience 
than most uh, massive now newspapers used to have. I mean, I worked for newspapers when they used to have millions and millions of people reading them. Now they don't. Now they're mostly below a million. They're down to sort of 500,000 in some ways. If you've got a Twitter account reaching half a million people, you know, not only are you reaching those people, but you are able to influence those people because they're following you for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And I try to be responsible with that power. You know, it's um, like I said, my my account has grown from 18,000 to over 300,000 just on Twitter in right. 18 months. So that that's crazy. And I'm still sort of getting used to how to handle that. Right. It's not an easy thing to do as a, as a single person. But, um, you know, I try to be as responsible as I can. I try to be optimistic. I try to give people hope, positivity. I try to unite rather than divide. And sure, um, I'm sure I make my mistakes and I'll make more in the future, but I really do my best, whether it's in my music, my podcast, my social media presence, or just everyday life right. to be a positive impact. I think the world needs that. And are you somebody that has a kind of team of people? Because I know a lot of people in your situation would have a team of people around them. I don't get the sense that you do that. I, you, you seem like a fairly well-balanced individual. You seem to know what you want, where you want to go, how you want to get there. Um, do you do, do you do you find yourself asking advice from people, or do you have sort of close allies that you can you can kind of generate uh, thoughts with? In terms of my business, I am a complete solopreneur. I don't have a manager or a label or sort of anything behind me. I do everything independent, and I always have. But with that said, I have a fantastic family. I've got fantastic friends. I've got people around me who I can bounce ideas off or get honest feedback from and people who just help to keep me grounded as well. So th I think that's something that really helps. Right. And growing up in Saudi Arabia must have been an interesting experience. Um, mm. I mean, I suppose, um, I, as, as I would describe you as a, as a black man in Saudi Arabia, how was that exactly? Yeah, I mean, the black man part, I don't know how much that played into anything. But um, my experience there was was very positive. Um, I lived there for I mean, in total, about nine, 19 years before coming back to the UK permanently. Mm. But I've been back and forth between the two countries a lot. I've been influenced by a lot of different countries and cultures. But my personal experience of, of Saudi Arabia was a positive one. I know that that surprises some people and shocks some people because they expect me to talk really bad about it. But that was <laughs> not my that was not my experience. No, I was just wondering what it was like. Yeah. My daughter actually works in Dubai and goes to Saudi Arabia okay. quite a lot. And as, as, as a woman, um, as it, it doesn't say the sorts of things that I would expect her to say. You know, I mean, she's, mm -hmm. she's, she finds it a fascinating place and she finds it very interesting. But, but obviously not being a native of Saudi Arabia, uh, it's, it's a kind of a very different culture for her to, uh, to experience. And, and since you've been back here and since you've watched over the course of, I guess, the last few weeks and months, the whole Black Lives Matter movement coming from what happened in Minneapolis, what do you make of all that? Wow, that's a that's a really complicated question to answer and with any kind of brevity. Um, <laughs> we got some time. Yeah. <laughs> so I think when it comes to Black Lives Matter, you always need to really parse it out if you're going to have an honest conversation, because there are three things going on there. There is the statement, the phrase, the sentence, Black Lives Matter, which 99.9% .9 of people agree with. Everybody who is decent agrees with that statement, and it's not contentious in itself. Then you have the organization, BLM itself, you know, capital B, capital L, capital M, which is a an actual organization with a lot of goals that have nothing to do with Black Lives Mattering. I'm personally very critical of the organization. It has a lot of stuff that they're trying to do there. If you look on their website mm. that I am not on board with at all, these include things like um, disrupting the nuclear family and defunding the police. Um, 
they've got some ideas about dismantling capitalism, etc., things that I think are terrible ideas and which would actually harm black people as well as people in general. And then you've also got the movement, which is which sort of sits somewhere between these two things. So a lot of people who consider themselves part of the Black Lives Matter movement or people who might be out on the street holding up a sign or using the hashtag, etc., many of them will not even be aware that there is an organization called Black Lives Matter, and they just sort of like the phrase, they agree with the slogan, and they want to go out and fight for good. So I have three different views on all three of those things. The organization itself, I am very critical of. I'd, in fact, I'd say that I oppose the organization. Um, the statement, I am 100% on board with. I believe that, of course, every single person, every life matters, including all black lives. I'm, I'm a black man from a black family. Of course, I support that. And then um, the movement, I'm somewhere in the middle on. I support some aspects of it. In some ways, I don't think it goes far enough mm. because it's so focused on the policing issue and it ignores the other sort of 99.9% of situations where black lives are at risk of danger or are even killed. So I think if you're going to have an, a movement called that, then it should really be all encompassing. So that's my critique of it. But with that said, I think it's good to be raising awareness of, you know, general issues around any sort of true injustice. There's always positivity in that. I think some of the methods used could be better and some of the solutions offered could mm. certainly be better. But, um, you know, hopefully positive comes of it. I do think that there is a lot of negative coming from it. I don't know how it balances out with the positive but um, I guess we'll need to see in the long run. Yes, I think so. And I think your, your description of it is, is, is absolutely right. But equally, I wonder whether parts of it have become something of a fad. And, and because of the uh, nature of, 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 of social media, as you've described it, and also the nature of, of relatively young people, to me, in their 20s, they have a very short attention span. And I think, you know, this year will be remembered for the demonstrations around the world in America, in the UK, in other parts of the, of the world as well. But I think mm. in many ways, yes, we will probably move to a better place as a result. But a lot of it will just sort of disappear and fade away and people will lose interest in going on marches and people will lose interest in in raising their fist in the air and, and making statues and putting them up in Bristol and having them taken down again. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, but some of it just feels like, like a bit of role playing almost. Oh, I, I agree with that. And I think it's also been exacerbated by the fact that people have been locked down for months on end. Um, that's clearly a factor. I think, yeah, there would have been demonstrations and protests in the light of the George Floyd killing regardless but would it have extended as far as the uk and europe would it be going on for so long would there have been so much aggression and hostility and emotion etc i i don't think so i think it's been exacerbated by the by the conditions and um a lot of the responses especially in the u.s with some of the mayors and the governors and the leaders etc i mean they haven't dealt with it particularly well in no. my personal opinion so I think, look, I think as a society, we need to come back to rationality. I think people are just, stuff is so emotionally driven right now. Yeah. And as someone who's just naturally not very emotional, um, it, I find it quite jarring because it also stops problems being resolved when people are just running on emotion and mob mentality and hype, and they're not really thinking about the long-term consequences. Yeah. And yeah, we just end up with these bad situations and issues where things might actually end up getting worse right. so well i, mean, I do look, worry yeah. i do worry that you know it, that there are some people who are reacting badly to the debate um, and who are sort of taking exception to it for, for for not for the wrong reasons but then you're creating kind of more division somehow by by becoming hysterical about absolutely every single thing 
Yes, I agree totally. And and we see this, like people get lost in the weeds. You have people fighting over, someone says black lives matter, someone else says, yes, all lives matter. And mm -hmm. those two people end up in a fight, yeah. despite the fact that those two sentences, those two statements are obviously both correct. Yeah. Right. If you are a decent human being, we already know that, but people just get lost in this semantics and trying to mind read each other and assume you know, take the least charitable interpretation of absolutely everything. And that's a big problem with the discourse that's going on. Yes, I think it is. And there's no doubt that there are those as well who would capitalize on on that division and people who would like to see more division because it's good for business as far as they're concerned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know? I agree. And I, th I think that's where, you know, I think that's where media and politicians really need to be held accountable and where they need to be careful because I don't think it's quite as bad. I don't think it's as bad in the UK, but certainly when I look at the US, I mean, I, most of my audience is in the US and I, I, um, I do stuff out there as well. So I kind of keep a close eye on it and their media is, it's just become so agenda driven and so partisan yeah. that the media itself is, has done a lot more to divide America than any sort of politician or yeah. individual has. Well, I mean, Andrew Neil made a very true statement once when he went out to uh, New York for a trip because he goes there quite a lot. And I used to live in the States uh, for about 10 years back in the, uh, the 80s and 90s. And he said, you know, he, he switched on Fox and he saw a TV show with four people on a panel discussing how great Donald Trump was. And then he switched on CNBC and he had a panel with four people who were telling you how terrible Trump was. And he went, here's yeah. an idea. Why don't you take two of them from each and make a show where they're actually having a proper <laughs> debate, you know, which would make sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the thing is, if you look at who watches what channel in the US, people who watch MSNBC and CNN, you know, they barely watch Fox News and people who watch right. Fox News barely watch the other ones. So people just sort of get stuck in these echo chambers where they're just hearing the stuff that they already agree with. And it makes it much harder for them to understand or even consider the opposite side of any argument. And I think that is what really amps up the polarization. Yeah, it really does. And how are you finding uh, working through the lockdown? Because obviously guys like yourself, I mean, I imagine before this, uh, you would do the odd live show or something. You might go and do yeah. the odd performance. How are, you, how are you making that work? Well, speaking of America, I've had to cancel slash postpone three U.S. trips. Um, I was supposed to be there in May, June and July. So that hasn't happened. Mm. But thus, that said, um, with what I do as a, as a musician, a podcaster, an author, and a commentator, I have been less affected by this than I think many other people have. I am able to work from, I work from home as standard um, when I'm not out touring, as you said. So I've been able to use this time in a positive way. And um, to be honest, I, I'm a lot more concerned about throughout this whole thing i've been a lot more concerned about other people yeah. than i am about myself both from a health and an economic standpoint i think i'm i'm in a good position but i know that this is something that affects millions of other people a lot more so i would like to see things get back to normal well listen it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you zubi thank you so much um we're, we're, we've been doing it for about 20 minutes already so i don't know where the time has gone but i'd love to get you back on again uh when we've got uh, something to ask you about but but in the meantime um enjoy the weekend uh enjoy um the next couple of weeks or so and we'll uh, we'll speak again Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Subi, thank you very much indeed. What a great uh, uh, guy. Uh, we have found, I think, another um, a member of the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, who can be relied upon uh, to speak common sense, uh, to speak with um, authority, to speak with knowledge, to speak with opinions, which really do make you think. Because that's what we do here uh, at Talk Radio. Not only are we the home of common sense, but we want you to think about things in a way... Uh, 
which is in actual fact rational, uh, full of common sense, full of the goodness that the world has in it rather than the badness. And, you know, I'm, I'm very, very proud that we can do this and that we can bring you people like Zuby, uh, who's got some fascinating views and some really, really intelligent views on the way that culture is currently unfolding. I hope you agree. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.46, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. We should actually have a camera pointing that way so we can see what's going on behind the glass because it actually looks pretty cool now. There's like four people doing that. We've got a following. It's really good. Yeah, I know. It looks great. great. Yeah, it's like being at a show. Uh, anyway, uh, well, we here are, we are. We are um, Marta Malagon is here. Uh, welcome to the uh, Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you. And uh, it's Perry Awards time. It's Perry Awards time. And for the new listeners, because we get so many. We have got a week, lot. Uh, this is where we look back over the past week of the so-called Independent so-called. Republic of Mike Graham yes. on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. Excellent. And I must say this week, I suspect there's been like... Um, Fraudulent activity. What do you think? I think you in might. In what have, sense? I think you might have done a Chris Grayling here. Why? And tried to rig the Perry so you get most of them. Really? With the difference that unlike Chris Grayling, you have actually succeeded. Well, uh, <laughs> that, that is true. I think, uh, as I said earlier in the week, uh, can you please name me something that Keir Starmer has, has, has been good at? Mm. Similarly, you could ask the same question of Chris Grayling. Well, yeah. Is there anything that he's been good at? Apparently not. The problem is that uh, there will be silence. There would be. And, and silence on radio is very dangerous. It is. It can be. It can be very dangerous. Because you get the emergency broadcast. Yeah, you might get that. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, let's, let's hope that That never not, happens normally. That never no. happens. That's definitely never happened. people are happened. listening to the Prime Minister, yeah. and suddenly they're listening to something else. Again, crisps. Crisps, yeah. That, oh, you you know, know, that didn't make snacks. it into the Perry. It's too late for that. Well, it was it was a late entry. Apologies to anyone who suffered from that. Yeah, many apologies. We yeah. It was never our intention Traumatic for you to go through um, this experience. And our thoughts are with you at this very Indeed. difficult time. Difficult time. Anyway, yes. as it's tradition, Mike, yes. let's crack on with it. The let's first do it. Perry goes to you. Thank and you. it's the confession of the week. I'm not going to put latex gloves on every time I do anything. <laughs> 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 I don't even remember saying that. You were talking about... <laughs> that, that, that could go horribly wrong, that one. Yeah, no. Although I'm now the proud uh, owner of both green latex and black latex gloves, which have been oh. handed out in the office here. They have? I prefer the black ones, to be honest. Yeah, they're cooler, aren't they? At the moment, I only use them for, and I think I might have said this, uh, for filling the car with petrol. Nice. Because I'm told that, you know, that's quite a dangerous thing, the, the old petrol pump. Mm. It could have the coronavirus on it. So that's the only thing I really use the gloves for. I've never filled a car with petrol. Have you not? Never. Well, maybe next time we go to the petrol station, you can fill the car with petrol. This will be another <laughs> be great. exciting day in the life of Martin Malagon and me uh, driving around London. <laughs> this is what has come to. <laughs> she did once come in the car wash with me uh, because she thought it would be exciting. Yes, because I hadn't done it since I was no, a child. I mean, that was also at the time when we didn't have much else to do. No, of course. This was like April. Before they opened the pubs. To go anyway. Now they've opened the pubs. We've got plenty to do. Oh, definitely. Yes. Um. So, yes. Um, so, no, you were talking about, you know, going shopping and, yes. and all that stuff and right. wearing the gloves but I just thought let's take it out of context that'll be funny it is funny you're right uh, late entry from today's show call it James in Kent wins the most confusing start to a conversation I think that's pretty much where we are let's go to the phones first though James is in Kent hello James James does this a mic good morning <laughs> it's amazing how often that happens isn't it I know. he didn't even say hello James he just said James yes 
That is so weird. Isn't it? It's kind of Freudian. Yeah. Or, or fraudulent. Fraudulent, Freudian. You know, yeah. you Pavlovian think. even. Pavlovian. Oh. As in Pavlov's dog. <laughs> yeah, not the Pavlova, the dessert. Not the dessert. No, that's Australian. <laughs> that's Australian. Yeah. Anyway, Mike, Thank you. you win another Perrier for providing the very, very harsh comment of the week. Not for talk radio, I know. Well, we haven't got any engineers. We just have a load of amateurs who sort of knock a few things together from time to time. That's the thing. We can't afford any real engineers. <laughs> is that the Larvin Award? No, that's not the Larvin Award. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. Excellent. This is, this is the very, 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 very harsh comment of the week. Okay. Because obviously our lovely engineers deserve um, Better. praise and recognition. Yes, of course. But then again... Uh, with what I'm about to play, I don't know if they do. <laughs> this is the James Loving Technical Problem of the Week Perrier Award and is shared between newsreaders Toby Gillis and Jenny Barsby. Mm. But felt his human right to a private life had been impinged by the group. But Supreme Court judges ruled today that... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh? I'm not sure I'm bringing you the rest of that clip shortly. <laughs> <laughs> did he ever bring the rest of it? No. No. He did not. I'm looking forward to hearing that, though, the rest of the clip. Well, it's a bit old. I think it's like from Wednesday. Doesn't matter. So I still want know. to hear what happened at the end. The problem is that Toby's gone home now. Has he? Yes. Because he's finished his shift at 12.30. That's awful, he's isn't it? He's gone home. You know what he's done as well for the last bulletin? What? Really, really gave us a heart attack in there. Mm. He almost ran out of news bed. Really? He's done such a long bulletin that we almost ran out of music. We literally had four seconds left. Goodness. So I went outside and told him to please never do that again. No, or, that's um, not good. We would have mm. words and action would be taken. Yes. Conservative MP Matt Vickers uh, joined us yesterday. He almost won a parry for breaking the record of times that one can bang on the table while doing an interview, right. you know, because he kept doing it. They're that. all doing it now. Boris does it. They're all doing does that. Does it at the dispatch box. Yes. Keir Starmer doesn't do it. But because he's very forensic. Because he's very forensic and he doesn't let his emotions get the better of him. Absolutely not. No. He's a QC. Mm. Uh, but, you know, uh, so I almost gave him a parry for that. But then, yes. oh, window cleaners. Hello. Sorry. Ah, okay. <laughs> can we give them a parry? We can give for them a parry. For interrupting the parry rewards. It's so suddenly sorry. got very dark in here. I, I am, yes, I am such a child. Yes. I apologise. We can see them out the window, though, on the camera. Oh, yeah, we sort of can. Yeah, there they yeah, go. There they are. They're coming so down. They're, they're coming down. <laughs> I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. Shall I wave? Yeah, give them a wave. Give them a wave. They're not looking at go. me. They're not looking. How, ve- how very no. rude. There they go. Anyway, <laughs> apologies. That's uh, great. <laughs> this is a, a live Perry reward. We're so Fantastic. good at this. Fantastic, yeah. Um, anyway, Matt Vickers, going back to yeah. banging on the table, all that stuff. In the end, he wins a, um, an award for the surprise drilling of the week. It's insanely dangerous. Um, you've got people for the, the 22nd high or whatever they get out of the damn thing. Actually, there can be... What was that? I was drilling on the wall. Was it? You think his neighbour, maybe? Well, he was in the House of Parliament, so was you he? know how they are like um, oh, maybe they're refurbing it, yeah, refurbing refurbing or whatever. It. Yeah, it could be. So maybe it was uh, you know the the anticipation to knock on the door saying, "Hi, you've got to go to York now." Mm. Off you go. Poor old Matt. Poor Matt. Anyway, yeah. next time he's on. At least he wasn't on the laughing gas. That's the main thing. Oh gosh, no. No. That's 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 not good. We don't recommend that. But we do recommend is listening to security expert and friend of the show, Will Geddes. Yes. Because this week he wins a perrier for the je- the jealousy m- <laughs> I can't speak. Jealousy moment of the week. Well the, the 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 big challenge here is the the problem with what we call verified accounts, of which you have Mike, I don't have. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, unfortunate. I'm surprised he doesn't have one actually. Because, well, because you know. it's really hard to get one. Is it? I've been trying to get one for ages, right? right? Well, 
for like the last six months or yes. so. The problem is that Twitter, they're not taking uh, submissions anymore. Oh, is that right? Back in the day, you could submit yourself. Right. And, you know, and that's why people like uh, Johnny Seaford, you know. He hasn't got one, has he? He's got has one. Has he? And he's got like, and I've got oh, more he? followers than he does. Not well, that I'm Most people it. have got more followers than Johnny Seaford. <laughs> well, bless him. You know. Uh, have a great day off, Johnny. Well done, way. Johnny. Thank you so much for everything. Thanks for booking people without telling us. Oh. Moving on. Another anyway. one for you, Mike. Yep. Uh, you were talking to Jack Cousins from the AA earlier this yes. week, and you want to pair it for the question of the week. What's the most popular car to steal these days? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why you thought that was such a weird question. But it's because you asked it in a way. Yes. As in, oh, so so what should I go for? Yes. Should I, should yes, I, I decide to break the law? Yes, I suppose I should have really fra- framed it slightly differently. Yes. Like which car gets stolen the most, yes. perhaps. Yes, yeah. So, so, you know, right. here's, here's a lesson in broadcasting. Thank you. Yes, I'll us. take that. I'll take, so, make a note of that. Thank you very much. That's thank what you. we're here for. And um, finally, mm. uh, yet another pepper award for you. Good done. For getting uh, the good news and definitely not the scam of the week. Talk Radio. Hey, listen, I've just had some great news. I've had an email uh, from somebody called uh, Sir Desmond Williams. Uh, <laughs> apparently, my $800,000 US dollar COVID-19 financial relief fund uh, is ready. Uh, for me to pick up. All I've got to do uh, is file my claims reply to this particular email address and the funds will be released within the next 24 hours. So I could be almost a dollar millionaire, $800,000. Isn't that great? Fantastic. Sir Desmond Williams from USAID. Marvellous. Unfortunately, I haven't had the money yet. No. It hasn't come through. You know what? Sometimes I check my spam folder and I've got so many missed opportunities. Yes. I could be so rich by you now. You could, yeah. I could own if a only bank in Switzerland. If, if only I you'd passed to. your details on to mm. these people. Yeah. Well, the Williams thing was funny because it was <laughs> it was obviously meant to be Williams, but it was spelled of course. wrongly. Of course. W-I-L-I-L-I-A-M-Williams. Yeah, Williams. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, you know you know what? I, I, I once got one that was, I think, something like Mr. John Smith yes. FBI right. at gmail.com. That's it. And I was like, yeah, this is very reliable, that isn't sounds it? Good. Mr. John right. Smith FBI yeah, well done, John. at gmail.com. Good try. Anyway, um, so there you go. You got most of them. Well, thank you very much indeed. And, and um, that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.